Welcome to the 8manacademy.com podcast, a podcast for 8-man coaches by 8-man coaches. Each episode, we hope to blend 8-man football content you can put into practice with a few entertaining stories by 8-man coaches. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of 8manacademy.com podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter at 8-man academy. Today's guest is Coach Robert Babcock, currently coaching in Tipton, Oklahoma. Coach Babcock, welcome to the show. It's awesome to be here. I appreciate you. Coach, you and I have known each other a long time, so there's no way I can squeeze everything I want to with you into, you know, a 45-minute show, but we want to talk about a lot of things. Uh, We'll just start with some of the early stuff. You played at Waukita, Oklahoma, and you guys for a long time there in the 70s and 80s, 90s, uh, were an eight-man power in northwest Oklahoma. Played for a, a well-known football coach with Coach Smiley. Just tell us a little bit about your high school days and a little bit about the Waukita program. When um, I transferred to Waukita from Enid, Oklahoma, and, uh, you know, Enid's much larger, of course, than, than Waukita, and uh, transferred in third grade. And then we, we didn't start football until seventh grade back then. And when we started football, we were an 11-man team then, so it was about uh, the end of my junior high when we went to eight-man. It was a little bit before that, but we went to eight-man about the time I started actually playing football, you know. And um, and we played some games, you know, like we play an eight-man game, we play an 11-man game, stuff like that. And, um, and yeah, I played for um, Sid Smiley, like you said. He's he's in the Oklahoma Coaches Hall of Fame, too, for eight-man football, and He's um, he's from Winoka originally, and he had played at Northwestern and, and, and things like that. So, you know, he was like a second father to me, you know. And he really, really liked eight-man football. And so I guess I probably got my, my passion for eight-man football from Coach Smiley. And, of course, we played eight-man um, all the way through high school. And, you know, we, we had some pretty good teams, and – a lot of times we were one of the smallest teams in the state. Um, I believe us and Freedom usually had to fight it out for that title right there. <laughs> I'm sure there was a couple of others, but, you know, that played football. Um, but, you know, it, it cycled like it does in a lot of small schools. We would cycle in and out with with good athletes. But I, I feel like that, you know, our coaches, especially Coach Smiley, you know, really instilled character in us. And I think that at any level of football, that character is the most important thing that we we can teach, you know, our our kids. You guys were – I remember you as a – I was a ball boy in elementary school and the teams my dad coached playing against Waukita. And I remember you guys being really big, but I don't know if that's the case because I was a third grader, but – uh, you know, in the 80s, everybody had big shoulder pads, and you guys all had on those huge neck rolls and the shimmel shirts, so everybody's abs were showing. But you guys were pretty aggressive, and your defense had a big big defensive front. And I remember you guys running a lot of veer. Uh, I don't know if that was always the case, but it seemed like they were kind of an option team under Coach Smiley and just really kind of just pounded people, went attacked right at you, just came right after you. Yeah. Well, I, I just had one ab as what I had hanging out of my – but, yeah, yeah, that was back in the old half-jersey half days. And, um, 
And you're right, too, you know. I mean, we, we did wear face masks, so if anybody's wondered that, we, we definitely had face masks at that point. But um, but uh, you're right. Uh, you know, the, the, um, the option, you know, the Vera option, you know, was, was huge back then. But uh, Turpin, uh, that played eight-man football, I think they, they kind of bounced back and forth a little bit. But um, they – they were a powerhouse, and they ran um, a trapping game, which um, a lot of people call the, the, the three-way trap. So we started running what Coach Molly called the Turpin Trap, which, you know, had the quarterback pivot, and the fullback would come up the middle. Of course, the halfback would come across, and it was derived from the old wing tee, and it was basically how you run the wing tee in eight-man football. So he combined the, um, the veer – and we would also run uh, what he called the Turpin Trap Series and also single wing, believe it or not. And and I think that by combining those three philosophies, you know, it made us, it made us pretty tough. And I think, it, you know, they, they came about before I got there and they were running it after I got there. And, you know, it's pretty hard to stop any one of those different philosophies but when you when you run all three of them with the same personnel that's going to be a tough thing for anybody to stop as you moved on into your coaching career uh probably the first time I was exposed to you as a coach you were at Snyder and there for many years with a lot of good teams it seemed like you were primarily a shotgun team even early in the like the early 90s when maybe not everybody else was doing it do you think that grew out of your high school single wing roots or did you just want well, to be the gun so you could have you know, spread it around? When I, uh, you know, I went to I went to Garden City Junior College, and then I went to Oklahoma State, and I graduated from Northwestern, um, Oklahoma State University, and we had different the different philosophies at each one of those colleges too. So when I got out of college. I just kind of combined what I liked. I, I remember when I first got to start calling plays, I just, I just, I was a defensive guy in college. And so I just sat down and I got to thinking, what are the things that I hated the most to try to stop as, you know, a, a defensive player? Well, I hated the screen. I hated the short passing game. You know, I hated the option, um, hated the trap. You know, if you, if you don't know the traps coming it, it can, it can light you up like a Christmas tree, you know? So we just started running the kind of things that I hated to try to stop in college and, and in high school. And so originally we ran um, what we call freeze option, which I, uh, which I got, um, if it comes out of the eye and what is basically, I, I don't think hardly anybody runs it anymore, but it was a killer series. And, you would pull the backside guard and run like the zero option. The quarterback would back up out of the way for the dive back, and the pulling guard would pull through there, and the dive back would come through. And if you just gave it to the dive back, it was the trap. If the quarterback kept it, then he could run the trap to the outside or pitch it. Well, with the quarterback we had, whose name was Gary Manuel at the time, he was short, he was stocky, and he was incredibly quick. And he, he ran that incredibly well. And um, I got that from my assistant coach who had came from Tuttle, and his name was Mahoney. And I loved it so much, and it worked so well. And then I got to talking to 
another Hall of Fame coach named Bill Derryberry, who I think won four state titles at Central Marlowe. And he was running something called the drop option, where you drop back three steps and the tailback would drop back three steps. And then you would run at one of the ends and pitch it. So it looked like a pass play to start with. So we combined those two with our, our three-step passing game and our play-action passing game off of the old three-way wing tee. And we just started running that stuff. Um, we actually probably only had about 25 plays, but we could do it out of about probably 40 or 50 formations. And I think that made it really volatile because we could call the same play from any one of a larger number of formations. And I think that that's pretty tough to stop. And a lot of people are doing that today. I remember Gary, who's also coaching now. I've coached against Gary and actually played against him one time in high school in an all-star game. Uh, he went on and had a college career as a running back for some good teams. But, yeah, he was kind of a little bowling ball running that offense. I mean, it was unfair that the ball was in his hand so much because there wasn't much to hit and there weren't too many good places to hit him. With this offense, you're probably not going to mention it, but I'll brag on you a little bit. You guys were responsible for a big thing in Oklahoma eight-man history. You stopped the Morrison streak in the semifinals. Was that 95? Is that right? Yeah, it was the 95-96 school year. And Morrison won, I don't know, over 100 games in a row and probably seven or eight state championships in a row. And, and you guys were the ones that finally broke it with Gary at quarterback. Yeah, they, at the time it was a national record. They had 90 straight wins and seven straight state championships. They beat our teams out when I was in high school at Waukita two years in a row, both my junior and my senior year. Um, and that I'm going to tell you what, uh, winning that game, because we, we had, especially me, all of us had a huge amount of respect for Morrison and their coaches and their players. And uh, we had never played them at Snyder before. And I think that kind of fell into our hands. My kids didn't really know, you know, the depth of the tradition that they had. They just knew they were a good football team that we had to prepare for. And, um, you know, they, I think that that helped us out too, you know, not being, or being respectful, but not intimidated by them. And, they had an excellent football team, and they, they ran a lot of the same stuff that we did, including at times a 5-1 defense, which, you know, uh, is rare. And the, and the fact that both of us ran some 5-1, mixed in with some 4 and some 3-2, mainly 3-2, um, you didn't know what defense you were going to be facing. And they were so well coached um, and very fundamentally sound – and I don't think that a lot of the younger guys, I mean, I know you do, but I don't think a lot of the younger guys, since, you know, since then we've had Shattuck and, you know, at one point Pioneer uh, was on a run. And I don't think people realize how incredibly dominating that Morrison really was. They would go up and beat one or two 11-man teams every year too, you know. And uh, But like you said, I think we were able to do some stuff, and we had athletes. Um, we definitely had it. We looked like a bunch of misfit, misfits on the field because, and we had a bunch. You know, we had like Hispanic kids, we had African American kids, we had white farm boys. You know, and they they just stood side by side. But every one of them was really, really good at what they did, and it made us 
a really tough team to beat, um, uh, especially defensively. But we also put up a lot of points. So, and the passing game was a big deal. Um, we had a kid named Casey Croom who averaged over 40 yards per catch uh, through the course of his career. And he, he caught two, maybe three touchdowns against Morrison. And, you know, and if they, you know, if they focused on one thing, we had people to attack them, you know, in other areas. I would say about that game, what I always like to tell people is that when we were preparing for them, I called all these coaches who had played them in the past. And each coach would tell me what you couldn't run against them, you know. So I wrote it down on this tablet. And they'd say, oh, you can't do misdirection. Counterplays don't work. So, you know, mark out reverses. They're always on top of screen passes. And anyway, when I got done, I looked through this list and I was like, oh, my gosh, there, there's nothing we can run against this team. Well, <laughs> you know, that's a testament to the, the kind of team that they were. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I just got to thinking. I, I called my old coach, Sid Smiley, and I told him, I said, Coach, man, I got probably 40 things on this list that we can't run, and it covers everything that we do and more. And I said, I, I think we're just going to play them like it's any other game, you know, just a good team that we, we've got to beat and game plan like that. And uh, now there were a few things we dropped down in that that we had never done before in that game. Um, we noticed – that if they were in the 5-1, they were really tough to stop if we were in double tight. So instead of running the freeze option from the eye, we would just move the tailback over as a halfback. So you still had the fullback in there, but your tailback was in what might look like the broken bone or something, and they would pop out of the five front because they thought, well, they're not going to run the freeze option out of that formation. And we noticed that early on, so – uh, our kids were smart, and Gary Manuel was really, you know, he was like a coach on the field. And when we saw that, we would line up in the eye, he would shift them to that formation, and we would still run the freeze option. The only difference was the tailback, who was at a halfback's position, he, uh, he wouldn't freeze if we were going the opposite direction. But he could freeze if we were coming his direction. So, I mean, those are simple things, and they don't seem like much. But in a game that close against that good a competition, sometimes those little things right there make a big difference in the outcome of the game. So you guys had a really good game plan, executed really well, and, you know, beat the Giant. You might as well have been playing the Dallas Cowboys that day to a lot of people. That was in the semifinals. How do you recover from that yes. in a day or two and then get your team ready to go play in the state championship? I mean, you've got to turn back around on Monday and quit celebrating and get focused on somebody else. Well, yes, that's an excellent point. And it was the biggest thing that I was worried about. But I'll tell you what helped me, really, was um, there's a couple things that fed into that. One, you're not going to believe this, but Bray Doyle beat us that year in the last game of the year. And they were good. They were good. They, they honestly, they weren't as good as us. They had a good game plan, and they were running a two-deep zone, which, you you know, back then you didn't see that. And so I, they were trying to keep Casey Croom from catching the ball. And we had another really good receiver named Scott uh, Barton. But so they had those two guys in too deep to try to keep us from our play action. And, um, if, and, and I always said if I had that to do over again, I'd throw it anyway. I felt like our receivers were good enough to go up and get the ball most of the time. 
is that sometimes I do think you outcoach yourself. But what I think it did, I really think it woke up our coaches and our players to where we're going to have to raise our level of play if we're going to finish this season the way we really need to finish it. And our players really got focused. And I listened to their interviews while they were after the Morrison game because, you know, there was a lot of media there because, that you know, that team had the longest winning streak in all of football. And every one of our players was talking about, you know, this isn't the state title game. This is a, you know, this this is just a step in what our goal is to achieve. And that that helped me out a ton as far as, you know, worrying about the next game. And when we got on the bus, of course, we told the kids, you know, this is awesome. It's something nobody will ever be able to take away from you. But we have to win next week to achieve our goal, you know. Our goal wasn't just to beat Morrison. Our goal was to win a state championship. And, of course, we played Foyle the next week. And Foyle had an, an excellent football team. You know, I don't I don't know of any teams that get in the state title games that aren't really excellent football teams, you know. So, we did. We came – we came to play, and we finished off a, a magical season. There isn't a day goes by that I don't think about those kids and some of the crazy stuff they did. But I tell my teams every year, there isn't a day goes by that I don't think about pretty much every team that I coach, you know, or somebody and some silly thing that they did, you know, during that season or during their season. It's probably too. As coaches, we just collect all these teams, but they're, I mean, they're part of who we are because we invest so much time in it and then spend so much time with them. Uh, I don't want to get too philosophical here and, you know, say that they're all children or anything like that because, heck, now all the ones I've coached, some of them are almost as old as me, right? I was 22 when I started coaching and those guys were 18. I've got players who are married and have kids and all that stuff. So, But, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think when I think about former players and former teams – uh, an interesting perspective is to me they're frozen. Raymond Cameron is still 17 years old, running around out there wearing a Kremlin Bront uniform, you know, and now he's a grown man with a family and making a living. But when I think of my guys, it's kind of interesting. They're still, you know, young high school kids. Yeah, I think I played with Raymond's brothers at Waukeda, actually. So yeah, I knew that, and that's kind of why I picked him as an example. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny how everything is connected, and, and I know exactly what you're saying. Believe me, I do. And, you know, a buddy of mine who coaches in Kansas, he's, he's now joined the dark side of the forest. He's a principal. Uh-oh. But he said, <laughs> he said, uh, he, you know, he had a parent come down and, and was trying to chew him out about after their season, he thought they'd done really well. You know, they made the playoffs. They got beat by an excellent football team. And he was really proud of the kids because he felt like they'd overachieved. And this parent was not happy with the results. And me and him were talking about it. And he kind of led me to understand that, you know, he said as a parent, a lot of times when they view the football season as a successful season or not, a lot of times – that's easy for them. Did they win more games than they lost? Or did they make the playoffs? Or did they win a state championship? But he said for a coach, you know, we've got more plans for our kids. And, and I know the parents do too, but as far as just viewing the season, you know, a, a lot of parents just view it that way. But as a coach, 
you know, you might not know if you're successful with a kid or not for 10, 10 15 years. You know, uh, you might not even be alive when that kid, you know, if you've coached for a long time, when that kid really becomes the man that you had hoped that he became, you know, uh, a good father, uh, a good husband, you know, things like that. Those are the things that are really the most important. I know it sounds like coach talk, but if you've coached for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you see those guys grow into good men. And, you know, of course, good women, too, you know, because, you know, a lot of us coach a lot of different things. But you see those people grow up. You see them turn into good people with character and stuff like that. And it, you know that you didn't waste your time. You know that you invested wisely and, and not just programs because, you know, that program is going to go on without you, believe me. And that building is going to still be there after you're gone most of the time. And but it's those kids that you coached that's a true investment right there and and i I see their kids like you said on facebook and stuff like that and um it's just amazing to me you know what they're accomplishing and and i feel like that i had at least some part in that and it makes you know it's a blessing to be a part of this this profession plus the Uh, money's amazing no doubt no doubt. <laughs> I mean, when you figure up your hourly rate as a coach, the amount of money you get paid, yeah, it's incredible. That's why most people do it. You're right about that. No. 38 cents or something an hour. <laughs> 38 cents. You can, you can almost buy a cup of coffee. Probably not anymore. But, um, <laughs> no, I agree. It, it, it's awesome when you get a graduation invitation from college or you get a wedding announcement or, um, you know, you see them 10 years later and they've got a carload of kids that are their children and it is neat to see what they go do. And, and some of them will just absolutely shock you. You know, the kid you thought would never get it together, you know, shoot, he's some kind of professional, wears a shirt and tie to work every day and is a civic leader. And you're just like, wow, man, where'd that come from? But I'm glad you did it. (laughs) (laughs) True. That is true. And so they're, they're good surprises. Uh, the surprises I don't like, uh, some of the times I've had a kid go to the military and they come back a year later, you know, and they've added 20 pounds and grew another inch and, you know, just look great. And I'm thinking, man, why couldn't have you done that two years ago? <laughs> you know, some of those boys keep oh, maturing yeah, physically the, after they leave high school. Yeah. And those kids that come back from one year of college and they spent the whole time in the weight room and you're like, you know, you're like, well, you, you know, you, it was a blessing to have you, but I'd even, I would have liked to have had you like you are right now. <laughs> you know, so. That's happened more than once in my career. Those guys go to college and they get hooked up and they're in the student rec center or whatever and they're lifting weights all the time and they look great and i couldn't drag them to the weight room <laughs> when they were a junior and senior but yeah. now all of a sudden in college uh you know they're all bodybuilders so yeah it happens it happens yeah it does i appreciate your statement coach about the investment of time in in our future and 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 what you've done for our career because you've been a coach for a long time and have done a great job with probably thousands of kids by now uh but I got you sidetracked a little bit. I want to get you back to your offensive philosophy because I thought you were doing some wide open, crazy things that are probably normal now, but weren't in the early nineties. And then I watched you for 20 years, but, um, 
I believe you guys call part of your offense the renegade offense. So can you explain that a little bit and tell us what comprises of the renegade offense and some of those elements? Well, we, uh, we graduated some pretty decent linemen one year. And I remember it was like 93, 94-ish. You know, I was about my second year as a head coach or, or third year. It was, it was in that time period. And I had a formation that we had run – called scat uh, there was two scat and stat you know how you go and one's just like the other but with a split end or something or a tight end but anyway um we ran it on occasion and we were going to play o, uh, ocs and ocs used to be another really powerful eight-man school they they're an 11 man have been 11 man for a while but um they were really tough to beat in the day and we were going to play them, and we'd been running pretty much traditional stuff. And one night I got to looking at it, and I was like, well, I'm going to put my tail back in motion from, from a wide position and just give him the ball full speed. And it, our sweeps were called 48s and 49s, so I decided we were going to call that, you know, 48. Um, and then we had a deal where from a nasty slot we would crack down and back then, the crackback was a lot more legal, but we ended up stopping doing it even before it got called so much. But we were going to crack down with both of those nasty slot guys. The split end was out there about six yards. There was a slot in between him and the guard that was about three and three from the guard. But we would try to put him outside the end. And we would crack down on the first two guys inside and give them the ball. So we called that 48 monster sweep. Well, that's basically a jet sweep now. And I know that I've heard people say, well, let me get this straight. You guys, Snyder, Oklahoma was the first people to run the jet sweep? No, I'm sure. I'm absolutely positive that somebody somewhere, because that, you know, it was running that. You know, if you look back, they were probably running in the 40s or so. You just never know. You don't know that kind of stuff. But we started running it, and, it, and that's what brought about the renegade offense was the motion jet and we started where, where I think that we kind of took a little different approach was we started running wing tee blocking off the backside of it so like we might pull our two guards and the quarterback would keep the ball or he would hand it to that nasty slot coming around after the fake on the jet or the quarterback like in the wing or like in the single wing he might become the fullback and just trap right up the middle and, and we did that a lot and so eventually we developed a renegade, which was a motion jet with wing tee blocking, a lot like, in some ways, some of the, the old wing tee offenses um, did, but we used a lot of motion jet. And basically, our motto was there, if you don't stop the jet, then we're just going to run it till you do. And when you do, we're going to trap you. And, you know, most of the times you had a front trap, you had a back trap. You could fake the jet and run the backside trap, or you could fake the jet and run the frontside trap with the um, quarterback. Now, we didn't put pistol with it for several years, but when we did that, we called that repo renegade pistol. And But we ran that renegade a huge amount, and there are a lot of schools. I, I wrote a book called The Renegade Offense years ago, and there are a lot of schools, and I, I put right in the front of the book, I said, hey, you know, this is stuff we've run, but I don't think it's been taken completely, you know, it hasn't 
completely developed as much as it could. I think it could it could be developed even more. And um, a lot of teams and several teams in California have run it for years. And I've sold books. I've sold books to eight-man German football teams, you know, and talked to their coaches and stuff like that. So it's been a pretty interesting deal. I was on the Internet really early, you know, um, probably you know, 96-ish, 97. I wrote a book about the drop option about 98 and started selling it online, if you can believe that. And so I've I've encountered a lot of different coaches from a lot of different places, and it's been a real – it's been pretty awesome, you know, to, to talk to coaches from other states, to talk to coaches that even coach overseas has been a really unique deal. But the Renegade – Basically, uh, you know, combine like I said, it combined the motion jet with the uh, with the wing tee blocking, and then eventually we started throwing in a bunch of play action pass, and that gave way to what I call now the Air Eight, which is the newest book that I wrote. The Air Eight, like the number eight, like eight man. Yeah, just Air Eight, and I've got it on my website. If anybody's interested in it. Um, eightmanfootball.net, but it's, you know, eight man can be spelled so many, you know, you can put an eight and then a man football, or you can put an eight dash man football, or you can spell it out eight man football. And I think that's where a lot of confusion gets in there. But my particular site is just with an eight and then man and then football.net. And that's, that's where almost all my books are. And I've got a ton of free material on there too. So. Can coaches contact you through that website? Is there like a little message board or can they find an email link or something on there? Can coaches get a hold of you well, if they go to your I'm website? Well, I'm also on Facebook. Yeah, I'm also on Facebook. Most coaches will go to my website and contact me through Facebook. But, yeah, my email is on there too. So they can always contact me um, through email. I don't have a, I, I don't know that I've got very many pages with the blogs activated. I need to do more of that. Honestly, I do. Um I get, I always bite off more than I can chew, you know, and um, I manage about, I guess, four or five websites. And, you know, we, we coached, I coached 11 man for a while. So I, I the Renegade, we have a, we, we ran Renegade and 11 man too. We were real successful with it. So a lot of people were interested in that. But I'm going to tell you that I, I have always enjoyed eight man football and for the most part, the camaraderie, you know, with our coaches and stuff, and, and they'll share anything. And I think what really brought open my eyes when I was a young coach, I saw um, Balco, Oklahoma, who was coached by uh, Bob Kramer, and he's like a legend, you know, and uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but he was an amazing coach, and he had coached. I think he was one of the original eight-man coaches in the state of Oklahoma. And I know that I, I, when I was at Garden City Junior College, I looked up on the microfish. That'll show you how old I am. <laughs> and I looked back at my birthday, and the day that I was born, Bob Kramer won his first state championship at Balco. You know? <laughs> so wow. I thought that was unbelievable. But um, anyway, he ran a double screen against Central Marlowe in the state finals, and it was – a killer play and I saw him up at the eight-man meeting you know at the end of the year and I said wow I said man that that screen you ran down towards the goal line 
was amazing. He took a napkin and drew it up exactly how he ran it and gave it to me. And to me, that's eight-man football. That's eight-man coaches right there. You know, most of them are as good as gold. There's a relatively large group of them that if they go and coach up higher, they'd be okay with it. And if they stay where they're at, you know, they, they know they're important to their kids. Eight-man football is, is awesome. And we share a lot of stuff. And if somebody needs something and their school's not, you know, their school can't afford it or whatever, I make sure they get it, you know. But, you know, I've had a couple people and I've told them, I was like, hey, selling eight-man, you know, ebooks and stuff like that you're not going to send your kids to college <laughs> doing that kind of stuff but but it does keep the websites going and it does keep the information lines open and it's a lot of fun you know it's a lot of fun to share that information and and what have you um but yeah eightmanfootball.net and i think on facebook it's just eight man football is my my page and there's a lot of there's over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of good, you know, more information about eight man, including, uh, including the stuff that you've done and is amazing. But I'm going to tell you for years and years, it was pretty much my website and it was a part of big which is one of the, one of the first, you know, football coaching sites that ever went up and, and over half of it was dedicated to eight man football, you know? So it, which was kind of funny, but then I just broke it off into its own website. And, and like I said, I've got big plans, but I usually bite off more than I can chew. You know, so. I'm the same way, and here we are in August. The first week of practice for Oklahoma starts next week, and uh, yeah, I've always got too much going on, but I just love football. I love talking to coaches about it, uh, but I enjoy being a part of it too as a coach, so someday I need to figure out which one are my hobbies and which ones is my career and maybe separate and do a better job. But yeah, it kind of all just gets jumbled up for me because it's all football. It's all together. Um, and I really enjoy it. And I appreciate coaches like you, you know, you are a couple years older than me. And when I came in as a new coach, um, you shared stuff with me and I would ask you questions and, you know, if, if, uh, well, they say copying is a form of flattery or something like that. We've got a few plays in our playbook still today that I saw probably 20 years ago, the Snyder Cyclones running, so still very effective for us. So I just can't get away from it. That's what I do. Uh, football is, you know, it, it's just what I do every day, and I love it, and I, and I know you're the same way. Well, there was a certain point where we, our athleticism, you know, dropped off quite a bit. And that forced us to do – I said – I tell people that's where we lost all of our self-respect. <laughs> we, we, we wanted to continue, you know, to be successful. We knew we weren't going to be winning a bunch of state championships or anything. But we wanted to be competitive, and it was important to us. So that's when we really developed some, some unique things. Um, we started running stuff like what we call the Zoom option, where – the motion back would have the opportunity to pass to the slot, like the slot might block on the end and then run a shoot route. The outside guy would release on a go or a flag. And so it might just be an eight-yard pass, but we'd always tell that guy, if you've got, you know, six yards or four yards, take it. If that corner comes up, 
dump it off there to the slot or whatever. We ran a lot of that kind of stuff, and we ran it until we got, you know, pretty good with it. I, I think some people, they don't really go in with both feet on some of their stuff. They, you know, they, they want to keep condi- keep doing what they've been doing traditionally, and that's understandable, but we realized that we were going to have to go the shotgun, and we, we had good little linemen that were quick, but we weren't going to blow anybody off the ball. So we started running a huge amount of trap, a huge amount of jet, and we started running a lot of what we called zoom option, which could be run by the quarterback or the motion back on the jet. And um, and I think that's where we lost some of our some of our coaching. Um, you know, it's not that they didn't respect it; it's just that that was too much for them. And the funny thing is, more and more people, you know, are doing that kind of stuff now. And some colleges did it back in the day too, um, but to them, it's like a, it's kind of like a, a, a double or a sweet pass or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and that's a good you know gimmick play, but it's not a good everyday play. But I we weren't trying to get a touchdown out of it. I mean, if we did, that was great. We were trying to get eight yards out of it at least, you know, or six yards. And we didn't care if we ran for it or he tossed it. To us, it was just like an option. It was exactly like an option. So I guess when you look back on it, it would be like a run pass type option. You know, um, the the tailback who's motioning through gets the ball and he's got the opportunity to run or pass. And so it would be a lot like an RPO, but with the with the motion back instead of the quarterback. And the quarterback can run the same thing too. And those are actually not real complex plays to run. And if you practice them, you know, just like you do everything else, if you dedicate about seven minutes of practice time to the Zoom option, it gives you a weapon that you don't mind using that pretty much any time during the game. I like how you described it. I've been in those spots before where I thought, man, there's just no way we can get a first down. So I've done about everything once to get a first down and move the ball. You said you lost your (laughs) self-respect. But I completely understand that. And I think some coaches are just too – you know, maybe old-fashioned or stuffy to to realize that and get at what they're normally doing. But I, I also get a kick when I watch football on Saturdays, and I watch the University of Oklahoma, and I just keep hearing about how the head coach down there, Coach Riley, is this offensive genius, this offensive guru. And I watch, and they do have little nuances and wrinkles that nobody else does on Saturday. But I just think to myself, well, he's a high school coach. You know, he's running a drop option here. He'll do like a little <laughs> fake zone read and then turn around and pitch it to somebody else. <laughs> We've all done that kind of stuff. Just yeah. I, I think, you know, some of those guys, and it gets even worse, I think, when you get into the NFL. They can't really get out of their own way, and they're too scared to be creative. Or um, if it doesn't work, they know there'll be a ton of blowback. But that's what I think when I see Coach Riley yeah. get all this praise for this one little wrinkle, and I'm like, well, you know, high school guys run that every Friday night. <laughs> I think really what he's doing that is surprising people too is he'll run play action with air raid. Yeah. And and I think that's the new thing, you know, is to is to add play action to air raid. And that works in eleven man, eight man. I mean, I don't care who you are. A lot of air raid stuff has a guy swinging or running a speed out and it's opening up. I call that pulling you're pulling a defender away from his window. 
So when that defender leaves, he's opening up a window somewhere for another player or one of your players to get into, you know. Mm -hmm. And it might just be six yards. It might be three yards. But if you pull somebody, like you pull them wide, it doesn't matter how you pull them wide. If it was a fake uh, jet that pulled them wide, because if they don't, if they don't cover that guy after he gets out there, he's just running a swing pass, you know. Right. Um, so somebody's got to go out there and cover that guy. When that guy leaves, you have a guy set down in that window. Now, let's say the middle backer, if he gets, if he scrapes over, then you've got somebody on the backside that's going to be open in the middle. And you can just work those windows across the field. And that, to me, that's, that's the short passing game. And, and it's all set up on – you know, also the guy who ran the corner route. And if, 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 if nobody covered the corner route, that that might be a touchdown right off the bat. So they're going to cover the corner route, you know. Mm-hmm. But you just open windows. That's pulling um, to me. And when you when you push somebody, it's you, you play action run. You know what I'm saying? Um, you fake a lead up the middle. They got to come up for that. They got to respect that lead. And so you're pushing those players over to a certain point and taking advantage of where they come from. And if you boil down the entire passing game, I honestly believe it's just pushing and pulling. You're either, you're either pushing guys that think you're running the ball or you're pulling guys out of position and opening up windows, you know. I mean, that's the way I see it. It makes it easy for me to think about, you know. So and it's not real complicated in the long run. I've never really heard it put in those terms, but I like that. That's something I can visualize too. And uh, fortunately, in eight man, there are three less guys on defense, right? So if you start pulling a few out of there, there's going to be some holes in those zones. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, and some of your pl- plays can be a push pull. Now, those are some of the most dynamic, hard to stop plays that there are. You've got play action involved with pulling somebody else. There's a few plays like that, and. And some of them are like delayed options. Your first play didn't didn't pan out, and so you know you got a safety valve option. And I think more people are doing that now than have ever done it before. You got a guy helping out on the defensive end. All of a sudden, you're dealing with a slow screen off to the left where you thought everything was going right, you know, and you got a guy over there. But can he? You know, you got there's two guys to block him, too. You know, so my old football coach said, Smiley said that. An eight-man football defense, you're always one man away from being sound. And, I, and I'm going to tell you what, he's probably not the only person who's ever felt that way, you know. And eight-man defenses have to do an enormous amount of things to try to – you have to be a really sound uh, player to play any position and be successful in eight-man football defensively. I agree. Man, it's just so hard. It's twice as hard, I think, to play defense in today's game. Just the amount of effort you have to give to maintain that normalcy compared to offense. But then to try to cover everything schematically or to try to protect six gaps and then still have some pass coverage behind it, there's just so much going on in eight-man defense, and it's it's crazy difficult. That's, that's true. And, you know, I, there was um... – some guys talking on one of the message well on the Facebook board and they were talking about, you know, what do I do if I've got this set up for my kids and everybody's saying 32 monster, 32 monster. And I told them, I said, you know, you're right. A 32 monster would be a killer with that kid like that. 
put him at the monster back, let him, let him go hunting, you know. The problem is, if you're really good at that, teams aren't going to let you be in a 32 monster, you know. Um, they're going to get in twins and motion, or they're going to get in uh, four wide or something like that. They're, if you're really good at it, they're not going to let you stay in there, just like the old 3-3. There were teams that were just really suited to play 3-3. When we played against them, we're like, dude, we don't really want to mess with all that. All we have to do is run slot or twins, and they're going to be in a 3-2. So that's what we're going to do. And then if we want to run our regular plays, we'll just motion that guy back in because they're probably not going to slide back into a 3-3. You know right. what I'm saying? Sure. Because they don't know for a fact if they don't know for a fact if we're going to motion through or not. No, we probably aren't. You know. So if you were a really good 3-3 defense back in the day and we were going to play you, and we were like, you know, hey, we don't want to put a lot of stuff in for the 3-3 then we would run like what we called mid, which would be like a twin set, but with the with the flanker out there midway between the split end and the guard, he would go in motion, and we could just run the lead right at you on the left side by either giving the ball to the motion man or letting the motion man kick the end out and giving it to the fullback, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you just have your regular old play, or you could run the option or anything else back to the tight end side. But now the defense – isn't going to be able to a blitz you the way they wanted to blitz you. You b you probably got them out of the formation that they wanted to be in if they were in a three three or a four two or something like that. They can't run it now, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of things in eight man that you can do by formation, and I think a bunch of that started coming out late '80s, you know, to mid '90s. People started running a little bit of wing and and, and some double wing, and every once in a while. People would have, you know, a two-minute drill where they'd be in, in doubles, but you didn't see it very often. But you did see it from time to time. Coach, we maybe just have time for one more topic. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that I think is a really awesome uh, and overdue award that you received this year. But you were inducted into the eight-man Hall of Fame here in the state of Oklahoma as a high school football coach. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was that like? How'd you find out? And what'd that mean to you? Well, um, I've been on that committee for a long time where we, we, um, you know, would years ago at one of our meetings, they really wanted to start honoring, you know, coaches that had invested a huge amount of their coaching careers in eight man football we already had, you know, one for 11-man football. And and we all thought it was a great idea. And when it first kind of rolled around, people were kind of knocking around what to do and stuff. And I, I thought, you know, that'd be pretty cool for me because to, to be on that committee because I knew a lot of the old coaches. I played against them as a player when they were coaches. And I thought, you know, that, that would be really cool. Plus, I knew them and they could tell me about other guys. So I was on that committee for a while. And basically, I just nominated myself, and uh, <laughs> or I never would have made it. I, I honestly don't have any – there's no reason why I would be mentioned in the, the names that are mentioned right there. But I'm going to tell you what, it would be hard-pressed to find as good of a group of men as what is in that Hall of Fame right there. Um, you talk about – and I don't care what class or 
or anything. That, that, that group of guys is amazing. And some of them aren't with us anymore. And I don't know how in the world, honestly, that I made it, but I appreciate it a tremendous amount. And I told my wife, I said, you know, years ago, this was a big goal of mine. I was like, I hope that someday that I'm good enough to be able to do that. But it was funny at the end, you know, I I assume I'm towards the end of my career. I don't know that I'm going to live to be another 50 years or whatever, but, and if I do, I do. I've got two young sons. One of them is a sophomore, going to be a sophomore over at Tipton. The other one's a seventh grader at Frederick. So he's a bomber right now. and, And we live in Frederick, but, um, I told her for me, I think that was a, a, a huge deal, you know, for years and years. And now that I'm, you know, where I'm at in my career, it, it's still a big deal, but for a different reason. It's like that represents a lot of good of assistant coaches. It represents a lot of uh, opponent coaches that, that I learned a lot from, and it represents one heck of a lot of amazing kids. You know, um, when I got to Snyder, we had the longest consecutive losing streak in the state of Oklahoma in football. And it wasn't because we didn't have good kids. It's just because we had no kids hardly. I mean, they had, we had 12 out when I was the assistant there, you know, and, and finished the year with 11 kids versus surreal Oklahoma. And the kids just bought into it. And I think a big part of it is because I was there every year. And so were my assistants for a long time, you know, and, but it represents a lot of awesome kids and I appreciate that. And like I said, um, that's about as good a group of people, you know, as there is in, in my opinion, in, in any hall of fame anywhere right there. Well, and Jim Kerbo nominated me. So I just want to say that because me and him, we went to war against each other. I don't know how many times down here in Southwest Oklahoma when he was at Tipton and I was at Snyder, we, we had some heavy base bucking head games with Tipton and, you know, and at the end of all that, he nominated me, which is kind of funny because we had also went to battle against Burns Flat for years and years. We had some huge battles where it's burning and I nominated their coach, you know, Joe Oliver to the hall of fame. And I, I just think that's part of the camaraderie that we were talking about earlier that I don't think you get everywhere, but we definitely get it in eight man football in Oklahoma. Yeah, everything you said there was true, and I appreciate your humility, and I know you're a funny guy. I enjoy visiting with you whenever I can, but that honor was uh, well-deserved, well-earned, and and like I said, overdue. You've been successful in eight-man. You've been successful in 11-man. You've transitioned to another school now and are still successful, so uh, don't count yourself short. You certainly belong in that group and those guys. I, though I think I know where you're coming from a little bit because you just wake up one day and you're a lot older than you think you are. <laughs> and, you know, you think about the old guys as being that, that first generation of eight-man guys, and we know those guys, respect those guys. Uh, but if you notice now, when you go to the eight-man meetings, when I go to the eight-man meetings, we're not the pups anymore. <laughs> There's a lot of guys in there younger you know, than us. The so crazy, we're transitioning into that older group. Years, I was the – yeah, and I was always the youngest. I mean, for a long time, one of them. I was always one of the youngest, if not the youngest guys there. And As a head coach. Like, like yeah, you you're an early head coach. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I would go to those meetings and stuff, and I, and all of a sudden, boom, 
I missed that middle ground and now I'm old. <laughs> you know, so, you know I, I don't know. I, I started really early. Like you said about your career, I was 20 years, I was 21 years old coaching track and I had a, a 20 year older, a 20 year old kid running track who was on a hardship, you know, and uh, so I was just like, man, my birthday and this guy's birthday is only a year apart, you know, when I first started. So, which is pretty crazy, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can say um, bastard on your deal, but that's kind of, that's kind of my career. I was the, uh, I'm one of those few coaches that spent quite a bit of time. And I know you have too in 11 man and eight man. And, and I got to tell you there, a lot of stuff, transitions over if you just if you know how to do it if you know how to use it but i've had people on the internet tell me they were you know reading a, an 11 man book that i did and they said how how do you know this works i was like because well, i ran that for eight years in 11 man you know um you know i've got film of it actually working it's <laughs> stuff like that so so anyway i don't think a lot of coaches have done a lot of both but there are some that have you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm definitely one of them that has done both. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you being on the show. Um, Want to say a huge congratulations to your recent honor of being inducted in the Hall of Fame, and, and just thanks for adding here to 8-Man Academy. Well, man, I tell you what, I think that you guys are doing a lot of awesome things, a lot of things that I would have liked to have done, and I, I just think it's awesome that people have you, you as a resource and – um, and uh, you got the academy, right? Yep, Eight Man Academy. That's an amazing resource. And I, I was just thinking the other day, I wish we'd had stuff like that when I first got started. Who knows where we'd be right now? But we got a lot of young guys that I think are going to take it from there. Well, let's finish up with yours. Go ahead and tell us your website one more time and how we can find you and some of the things that are on there. Uh, com and it's eight with just a regular old the number eight um, you can also check out uh, Facebook my new book is the Air Raid and it's a combination of Air Raid Renegade Passing the two of them and, and conventional passing all mixed together but it's it's mainly the Air Raid for eight man football with play action stuff like that it is a huge book I would never attempt to try to run all of that stuff um, but there is a lot of books on there. There's some defensive books. I do need more defensive stuff, you know, and I always, always enjoy input from any coaches. And if, if a coach is sitting there thinking, hey, I'd like to make a, you know, if they want to make an audio or a video, they need to get a hold of you probably. But if they, if they want to, to do an ebook or something, I'm always willing to help them. So, uh, and that's awesome. And, and eight man guys are awesome. They're just, they're, they're cool to talk with and, you know, they're not real judgmental like a lot of, you know, I think a lot of coaches are, but it's, it's, it's just, I think right now it's a really good time to be an eight man football. Awesome. Coach, thank you. We'll see you soon. Good luck this season. Thank you too. Thank you for having me on.